Well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses, meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad you made it to church. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online around the country and world. We truly are grateful to have you join us as well. Uh, before we dive into the message today, I just want to alert you to something that's coming our way on October 5th. Uh, we've done a pretty good job as a church at helping people uh, manage their money, get out of debt, how to save, how to earn. But what we haven't done or, or spoken about really at all is how to invest our hard-earned money, how, you know, how to steward those resources well. And that can be a really tricky thing. And so there's a conference coming October 5th that's put on by one of our own, one of the very best in the industries in terms of financial uh, investments and so forth, how they work, what are the fees, you know, managers, advisors, how, how does that all fit together? By the way, Bill Hybels is going to be there speaking, Henry Cloud, two outstanding speakers, along with five financial experts. I'm going to be there uh, participating or, or attending along with a few of our other staff. So if you're interested in this, how to invest money, this is the real deal. And uh, join us if you can. You can just text their measure 555-888 and uh, see you there. Uh, I am so glad that you joined us here today, wherever you are around the country or world or right here in the Twin Cities, because we are in a series called The Invitation. Because God invites every one of us into a personal, a personal relationship with him so that we can experience his love and his friendship every single day. And what's really great is some of you accepted God's invitation in just the last two weeks. You said yes to following Jesus. You said yes to forgiveness. And it's really the beginning of a new life for you. Uh, but I want to start today by talking about food and feasts, because everybody likes food. I like food. But the Bible also says that this new life that we're being invited into is a lot like being invited into a huge feast. For example, Jesus says in Luke 14, blessed is the person who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And then Revelation 19, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb, this relationship that we have with Jesus, the Bride of Christ, is what the church is called. In the Old Testament, feasts were a normal part of religious life, and so food and food has always been a symbol of God's grace and God's presence, and that knowing him personally is like being invited to a great feast that never ends. So we thought we'd bring some food today and look at a little th few things here. Actually, I've been sampling them all morning. Uh, but this, you've got some fruit here, obviously. We've got uh, a beautiful egg bait that they wouldn't let me sample in between services. I'm just dying for this. Some bacon, I guess, here. Everybody knows what that is. And then over here, uh, just some rolls and, you know, things we probably shouldn't eat too much of, but they're good. But I want to show you what's, what's in this, okay? Right here, this is Keys Cake. Now, if you live in the Twin Cities and you've not tried Keys Cake, you're missing it. This cake is sent directly from Jesus, okay? And it's, it's my absolute favorite chalk. I don't know what they put into this sucker, but it is the most amazing thing. If you're ever in the Twin Cities, Keys. They don't pay me to say that. They should, but they don't. But try Keys cake sometime, if you will. But here's the question I want to have you just think about. What was the best meal that you've ever had? Just think about that. What's the best meal that you've ever had? Uh, Oddly, one of the best, best meals I ever had was happened on a plane. <laughs> it doesn't happen usually, but a few years ago, I and four other guys were on an, a, a long international flight that went through Frankfurt, Germany. We were on our way to Ethiopia to mentor some pastors. So we had all these supplies and bags piled high on smart carts. We got up to the boarding area in Frank, Frankfurt, and the guy took our five economy tickets, 
tore them in half and said, the flight's overbooked. You're going to have to wait off to the side. Told us to stand, stand over there. People walking past us, looking at us like we were a bunch of losers. That's exactly what we felt like. Finally, with only 20 minutes before takeoff, this skinny little German guy calls us up to the counter and he says, he has five seats for us scattered throughout first class. <laughs> I had never been on first class, ever. And when I looked at my seat, I just stared at it. This was not a seat. This was a recliner, automated recliner bed that came fully loaded with an entertainment center, back massage, fluffy pillow. As soon as I sat down, a lovely server came by and offered me chocolate-covered strawberries, a hot towel for my face, and an array of things to drink. The Italian business guy next to me was just pounding down Bloody Marys and margaritas. Finally, we took off on Lufthansa Airlines, and flying over Croatia and Greece, I started in on a four-course meal that included summer salad, uh, grilled chicken, garlic-buttered halibut. I remember because I wrote it down. Fruit, cheese, creme, creme brulee for dessert while flying over Cairo. Three different servers catered to my every need, called me sir, and served me specialty chocolates and coffee. On the other side of the curtain <laughs> were 400 other passengers crammed in like sardines eating peanuts and pretzels. And I didn't really care. I, <laughs> I should have, but I didn't. But I was, I was just stretched out in my recliner bed with an endless buffet of food, not because I was more deserving than anybody, but simply because someone offered me an invitation. Now, this flight was not perfect. My iPhone died halfway through. I spilled cream on my teaching notes. And then someone violated my personal airspace with a foul smell. And I knew it was this Italian business guy, but he played dumb. I thought, you know, walk back into coach and do that if you're going to do stuff like that. So this flight was not perfect. But here's my point. When God invites us into a relationship with him, I'm telling you, gang, it's like he's inviting us out of coach into first class that we would be crazy to turn down. But what's shocking to me is people turn down this invitation to the feast every single day. God stands at the counter with a free ticket to a first-class feast, and people say, I think I'll pass. I'd rather be crammed into a sweaty seat with a bag of Doritos. Makes no sense whatsoever. And so in Luke 14, Jesus describes what it's like to be in this relationship with God, and he says it's like being invited to this grand feast. I want to show you what Jesus says here, and this is being taught, by the way, to religious elite to prove a point. Jesus says, look, this is what God is like. A certain man was preparing a great feast. He invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to, the, to those who's been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all began making excuses. One guy said, I just bought a field and I got to go see. I mean, what a lame excuse. I got to go see my field. Another said, I just bought five oxen, need to go try them out. 
Another said, I just got married. I mean, give me a break. So I can't come to this thing. The master became angry. He said to his servant, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, crippled, blind, and lame after the servant had done this. He said, there's still room for more. So his master said, go quickly to the roads and countryside and urge anybody who will come to my house so it'll be full. I tell you, now these are very stern words. Not one of those who are invited first will get even a taste of what I've prepared for them. It's one of the most shocking statements Jesus has ever made. The master in this story is God himself. He's invited people to first class into a relationship with him that will lead to this abundant life and heaven, and they turn him down. They miss their shot at fullness and heaven and keys cake. They just blow it. And then he says, not one of those who are first invited because they turned me down will get a taste of what I prepared for them. It's a stunning statement, sobering statement. Now, you know, you talk to most people in society and they're not opposed to God. They're not opposed to Jesus or even church, not opposed to spiritual things. They just don't have time. Just not right now. They have things to do and places to go. They want to get married first, have kids, go on a cruise. You know, God in heaven and spiritual things are great, just not right now. And I get it. We're all busy. It's Minnesota State Fair. I mean, you got to go there, right? A few times, three or four. I haven't been there in 15 years. Does that say something about me? I don't know. But I get it. But what, what if people knew that the invitation God has for them is not to diminish any of these things that we enjoy doing in life, but to bring God's fullest joy and purpose into every facet of our lives and our relationships, our work and school. It's not to take anything away from us, but to bring God's fullness into our lives and into our homes and in this story, man, I see two dangers that cause some people to miss this first-class feast that God invites them to. And the first danger is this. It's just not the right time. I just don't have time for this. You know, these three guys get invited to the feast. One guy buys a field, says, I got to go look at it. Another buys five cows, and he says, I got to go see if they work. And another one gets married. He's, they have all these excuses. They wanted to come. But they just had too much going on, too much property to manage, too many, you know, animals to care for, and a marriage. I mean, give me a break. I've got to attend to my marriage. They wanted to come, but the timing just wasn't right. But let me dig at this just a little bit because, folks, I think we live in a time when people are distracted away from God more than any other time. First guy says he buys a field. He needs to go see it. He was distracted by his new possession. And so he missed God's abundant life. And there's nothing wrong with possessions. I have possessions more than I need. But you have to know something. We have to be aware that if you go out and buy a new property, second home, boat, RV, lake place, whatever it might be, nothing wrong with any of those things, but that new possession has the potential of keeping you away from the feast. Because isn't this true? Whatever we possess will end up possessing 
a part of us. I'm telling you, every single week, I bump into an eagle brooker. It happened twice this past week. Who they'll say to me, they'll, they'll want to say hi to me, and then they'll just quietly confess, man, I haven't been to church in three months. You know, with our Lake Place condominium, kids sports, all this going on, we just don't have time. And I'm like, but you're going to miss it. You know, not heaven necessarily when you die someday, but you're going to miss all the abundance and purpose and joy and peace in living life that God has for you. Another guy in the story gets distracted by marriage. And let's be honest, marriage is a huge distraction. I mean, it is. If you think it's tough keeping up with one schedule as a single person, now you got to keep up with two schedules. You not only have to maintain all your friendships, but now you got to maintain all his friendship or her friendship. Some of those you don't even like. And then you add a couple of kids to the mix and a gerbil <laughs> and a dog. And the, the complexity and stress level in your life just begins to build. Again, nothing wrong with marriage, kids, and dogs. I have all three. But here's what people often do. They get married. Both work. They try to keep all their friendships and commitments going. They have a couple of kids, which I'm telling you, is the hardest, most stressful thing you will ever do. And then they say, let's buy a cabin. And you know, completely just tank themselves. By the way, nothing wrong with a cabin. I enjoy using some of yours. I really do. So, you know, have at it. Just being honest about that. But they add layer after layer after layer of people, possessions, and commitments to their already insane life. And they end up missing God. And calm and healing in my soul, and love in my family, and just hang time. Why do we do that? Why do we add more and more complexity to our lives that pulls us away from the feast of God's love and friendship with him? One guy bought a new field, consumed him. Had to go see it. Had to go mess with it. Another guy got married. He couldn't come. I just wonder how many people are missing God's abundance because they've said, you know, now's not a good time. I have too much to do. In his great book, Not a Fan, Kyle Edelman, great writer, great pastor, writes about his friend Scott. He says, in high school, Scott felt God urging him to get serious about his faith, following Christ, but Scott said, I will someday. First, let me graduate from high school. I'll get serious in college. Scott left high school. Again, he sensed God urging him to deepen his commitment, his followership to God, but he said it wasn't the right time. He was too busy in college. He'll get serious later. After college, he sensed God urging him, what about now? Scott said, I will, but first let me find a job. Found a job, got consumed in his business, promised God he'd get serious about following him later, but first he wanted to get married and let things settle down. <laughs> he and his wife got married, had three kids. When the kids were young, he and his wife talked about getting back in church on a regular basis, but it never seemed like the right time. 
For 25 years, Scott told God, it's not the right time. Tomorrow will be better. And then Eidelman writes these sobering words. Today, Scott will tell you he lost a lot in the land of tomorrow. His wife left him, took the kids, but now he has plenty of time to attend his AA meetings. The land of tomorrow, writes Eidelman, is where you find divorce and addiction and unmanaged debt. It's where you find unfaithful spouses and prodigal kids. But, Eidelman concludes, the most dangerous part of following Jesus tomorrow sometime is that tomorrow might never come. The longer you put off following Christ today, the more likely that following him, truly following him and knowing him, might never come. So some of us have been saying, you know, Bob, I want to follow Jesus. I want to grow in my faith. I want to be purposeful in my life. But now is not a good time. What makes us think there will be a better time? The three men in Jesus' story weren't saying no necessarily to Jesus. They were just saying, just not now. Now's not a good time with my new field, new animals, kids' sports, new spouse, maybe tomorrow when life settles down. And tomorrow never came. And they missed the most important flight and feast of their entire life. In my mid-40s, my life had become extremely complex. I think the 40s are just nuts, by the way. Hard to hang on in the 40s. But I had added layer after layer of commitments to my life. And what I didn't realize is I was, I was squeezing God out. Uh, I limped into a summer break, and for four weeks, I just stayed away from people. I stayed away from church. But then I noticed that even though my body was recovering, my spirit was sagging. And I didn't feel close to God. There was a drift in my life. I didn't feel God's presence or power as much over temptation. I remember the exact day I said it out loud, no more. I need to be in church. Here's the key phrase. I need to be in church, never miss, so that God can speak to me and touch my soul. And guide me. I just need that every single week. And then I made this commitment. I'm going to spend 15 minutes every day in quiet reflection and Bible reading. Here's the key phrase, never miss. I would challenge all of you, 15 minutes a day of quiet chair time. Just finding a place, finding a spot where you just sit and you reflect and you read something out of a great book, an inspiring book that feeds your soul a little bit out of the Bible and just let God speak to you and slow down the RPMs in your life so that you don't crash. I'm telling you, gang, those two commitments, church never miss, chair time 15 minutes a day, saved me. Saved me. What? One danger. Now's not a good time. I want to turn my focus toward those who maybe feel like they don't belong to the feast. They just, they just feel like, you know, what I've done in my life, and I just, I just don't fit. They feel like they don't belong. Or maybe we feel like they don't belong, those of us who are Christ followers. You know, Jesus is in this story. The master gets really angry because his honored guest turned down the invitation. Side note, in those days, there weren't gas stoves, there weren't refrigerators, so when the feast was ready, they had to eat it that very day. Because what are you gonna do with all that food? So when the first guest bailed on him, he said to his servant, go quickly into the streets, into the alleys, bring in the poor, crippled, blind, 
and lame. He's saying, run. The food is ready. Don't waste any time. The time is now. And part of Jesus' message to all of us is now is the time. Now is the time to come to the table. Now is the time to invite those who maybe, you know, we've, yeah, I don't know if they belong or not, but now's the time. Don't waste any time because time is short. And notice he says, bring in the poor, crippled, blame and blind and lame. To Jesus' listeners, the religious elite, these are all the wrong people. Why should we invite these people? They're thinking these aren't the people who make the guest list of the rich and famous. They can't do things for me. Why should we invite those people? But Jesus is saying, look, they are on my guest list, and I want you to invite them to the feast. By the way, remember in high school, those of us who are, you know, past that, thank, thank God. Do you remember the lunch table in high school where all the athletes and cheerleaders sat? Remember that table in the lunchroom? And if you were a little nerdy or a little different, you wouldn't go near that table because you did not belong. But then we all graduated from high school. Remember this? And we found out that companies don't care if you can play sports or cheer. You know what companies care about? If you can think. If you can problem solve. If you can do math. If you can read. That's what companies care about. My father-in-law went to Carnegie Mellon, which along with MIT is one of the best engineering schools in the country, but they always got slaughtered in sports because they were, you know, a school school. So they came up with a cheer. <laughs> they, they came up with a cheer at, at Carnegie Mellon, and whenever the other team scored a touchdown, the fans for Carnegie Mellon would chant, that's all right, that's okay, you'll be working for us someday. <laughs> you gotta love that. That's for all of you who are a little nerdy and a little different. You got to love it. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here, that those who've been excluded all their lives, who've been passed over, pushed aside, are now invited to the table. He's rebuking the religious leaders. He's rebuking those who've had it going their way all their life. And he's saying this, I'm bothered, Jesus says. I'm bothered how you've excluded certain people from the feast. People who are maybe a little off or a little different than you. And gang, what he's really saying is the invitation is to everyone. It doesn't matter who they are or what they're like. So he says to his servant, go quickly. The food is ready. Go into the alleys. Invite anybody you can because now is the time. I'm telling you, every person you see Every person who's sitting near you or watching online, every person you lock eyes with matters to God. Jesus died for that person and wants that person to know him and receive his forgiveness and love at the table that he offers. So I just want to raise a question. Is there anybody in your life that you thought, you know what, they just don't belong? Why would I invite this person to church? They don't belong. They're off the grid, you know, whatever, socially. It just, Jesus said, that's the person. Church, we need to open our eyes. I do. And open my heart. A few years ago, I, I had a layover in New York City. So I, I grabbed a cab from LaGuardia Airport, and the cabbie was a 28-year-old 
typical New Yorker whose accent and language was very colorful. And his name was Daniel. I could tell, though, that Daniel felt like he, he didn't belong. He was complaining about losing his hair. And I said, man, your hair is great. Look at mine. I said, I'm completely bald. He said, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. So he flicked on his, his dome light. He said, oh, oh, yeah, you are. I said, look, all you have to do is marry your high school sweetheart, and then it doesn't matter if you go bald. He said, are you still married to her? I said, for 31 years. He said, that's awesome, man. That's, that's awesome. He said, by the way, what do you do for a living? I said, you don't want to know. He said, what are you, a cop? I said, worse than that. He said, are you FBI? I said, no. He said, are you a prison guard, CIA? He was obsessed with the law since he'd broken nearly all of it, truly. He said, what are you? I said, you don't want to know. He said, come on, man. I've met all kinds. Just tell me. I said, all right. I'm a pastor. He spun around, looked at me, and he said, that's awesome. Really? He loved the word awesome. He said, that's awesome. He said, man, I'm sorry for cussing and swearing back there. He said, <laughs> I, said, I said, don't worry about it. I said, that's why I don't tell people what I do. They get all weird and think they got to change who they are. But Daniel began telling me his story. Been married three years, had three kids, one with another woman. He, he wanted to do it right this time, he said. He told me he drove 60 hours a week in a cab. He wanted a better life for his kids than he had. We talked about the Yankees and twins, and then he pulled up to my hotel. He put his cab in park, and he turned around. He said, would you, would you say a prayer for me? I said, I'd be glad to. I put my hand on his shoulder, and I prayed for Daniel and his family. I prayed that God would give him wisdom. I prayed that Daniel would experience God's forgiveness and healing, that God would heal the wound that's there because of the mistreatment of his father. And when I was done, he, he opened my car door, he stepped out, and he just bear hugged me right there on the streets of New York. And he said, that's awesome. <laughs> that prayer was awesome. And he thanked me, and he hung on. Just tough kid. He just hung on. Almost embarrassed me. And then he let go, and I said, Daniel, God bless you. I'm going to be praying for you. I want you to experience God's deepest love. And I said, be good to your wife. Men, be good to your wife. He said, I will. I promise I will. I'm telling you, God wants the Daniels of this world to be at his table. He wants them to know that whatever sins they've done or done to them, that it's okay. That they can bring those sins to the table and be forgiven and experience the abundant love and life that God has for every person who comes. I want to show you a final verse real quick. The master house, master's house begins to fill up with people from all walks of life, and then the servant says, but there's still room for more. 
there's still room. And what I want to ask our great church, do we believe that? That there's still room for others? And I know that we do. I love this church. And Jesus would say, go quickly. There's no time to waste. The table's been set. The food is ready. There's still room for more. And so let's fill the room. Let's fill the table. I want to show you a quick video as we close today about people who were invited to our church and they just tell their story just a little real quickly and I'll come up and close. Kristen and I met at Bethel College back in 1999. We're so old. That ages us a bit. We started going to Eagle Brook because we were invited um, by some co-workers or people from work and um, our kids were really inspired by it. And then ever since we went the very first time, it became our church. We've been friends forever. <laughs> we were really close growing up. You know, John would uh, post on Facebook about going to Eagle Brook and um, just seemed really enthusiastic about it. I just had all these excuses on why I didn't go this week, and Dara and her husband so nicely invited me. I was a little nervous at first, but I jumped in, took a leap, and um, haven't looked back since. It took a few times, I think, of you saying, have you watched Eagle Brook yet? Like, have you, <laughs> have you checked it out? Or like, she'd send me the link or whatever, and um, then I, it just kind of evolved from there. I think we were just having a, a normal conversation. Mm -hmm. I had sensed that you were looking for a church just in your demeanor. And so I said, you know, we attend Eagle Brook um, and we love it there. And it's a church like no other and to try it. Um, about two years ago, Doug and Amy asked us if we would want to go on a date night with them. And date night consisted of going to church at Eagle Brook and then going out for dinner afterwards. It was the first church that honestly, like I ever felt so comfortable at and that I was so excited to go to. And so I loved it and I think you did too. Yeah. <laughs> Not too long after I first met John, uh, he actually had went through kind of a difficult time in his life. And from my perspective, it seemed like faith was a big part of him getting through that. And so I decided to give it a go. So my best friend, she said, hey, you should come, you should bring the boys and come check out Eagle Brook. I was going through a tough time. I was, I was depressed. I was, I, my anxiety was at an all-time high. And so we attended Eagle Brook Church in Woodbury, and the series was called A New You. So as I'm sitting there in tears, I just was, I was overwhelmed. The message was about um, finding your peace. And he said, Mom, I think you need to see this. And I couldn't turn him down. So, so we got ready and we went back. And when the music started, then I was, I was completely hooked. There is not a time I don't go, Amber, um, that the message doesn't sink in. I feel like God is talking specifically to me. Something that Bob says often is that it doesn't matter where you are in your faith that you're still welcome here. Walking into the doors, being greeted by everybody, you know, I know that I'm in a safe place. I know that nobody's here to hurt me. I know nobody's here to judge me. And I, I think everyone deserves to, to feel that. We are all broken people. We're all sinners, um, but we're still welcome here. God welcomes us, God loves us. I love the messages. I love how they get through. 
I love how they have touched not just me, but him and the kids, and how I've been able to use some of the messages to get through to other people that I feel are lost and that need to find their way back. You don't know whatever people are going through in their own life at home, and that a lot of people tend to hide and, and bury things. So if it's God saying, invite them, there's a reason for it. You just don't know when you reach out to somebody and invite them to church, the impact it could have or does have. And if, if no is the answer, it's no for now, and, and it may take a while. Our family's kind of proof that if it doesn't happen right away to keep trying, because once someone does come, it opens their eyes to a whole new world. I've uh, told everybody at work, anytime, anytime you want to go, I'll come pick you up wherever you're at and bring you there. It doesn't matter. It's because I think that it's made such a strong impact in my life that I wanted to make an impact in everyone that I can, that I come in touch with. I'd be crazy not to say that it saved my life at the time. And that all really started from an invitation. So it's really not about becoming a bigger church. Um, it's not about our church at all. It's really about helping people come to a place where they can hear something from God. It's really Christ who changes a life, not me or anybody else. And by the way, I know that, you know, we ask you to invite people a lot and that gets to be annoying sometimes for those of us who've been around a while. It's annoying to me, actually. Um, I don't like that responsibility. Can you relate to that? I don't like to be challenged. Bob, you're the pastor and you're not willing to invite somebody? And so I live with this responsibility every day. I've got neighbors, I've got people in my life at the gym who I'm praying for and, and you know, it's not the right time today or tomorrow, whatever. It, it's frustrating. I don't like feeling that burden, that responsibility, but you know what? I was invited to the table. <laughs> Changed my life. And I know that my purpose on this planet is to try to lead as many people to Christ as I can. And I believe that's the main purpose for every Christian. And so maybe this time they'll say yes. Just one person, I, I just want to challenge you one more time. Pray, say, God, put someone on my heart or in my path during these next two weeks for the September 9th and 10th weekend made for more and maybe it'll happen this time maybe it won't but would you pray just you know raise your awareness once again is there somebody that God wants me to invite and see what he does okay at all campuses let's stand for closing prayer and be on our way Father I have no idea really what it would be like to not be at your table, to not have your forgiveness, your presence, your Holy Spirit who indwells every believer. God, I need your strength and your courage, your peace. I struggle with anxiety almost every day. God, you know it. And I gotta release that anxiety to you. 
Because the Bible says when I am weak, that's when I can become strong. When I lay my weakness into your hands every day. So God, thank you that you have me at the table and I just pray that you'll help me and help the rest of us keep our eyes and our hearts open for that one that maybe you want us to invite. We love you, thank you, and praise you in Jesus' name. Have a great weekend, everybody. God bless all of you.